Hey, we've been going through the series um, in Ephesians. We jumped into this last week, brand new series. And uh, what I love about Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that um, he considered them to be a, a mature group of people. He considered them to be people that he could, uh, you know, talk deeply to. And so his letter to the Ephesians is actually pretty pretty heavy duty. I know the, the intro said it's a, a crash course in basic Christianity, but I don't think anything that Paul says is basic, right? And he's talking to the Ephesians, and um, we say this a lot around here, you got to know what you believe and why you believe it. You got to know what you believe and why you believe it. And the important thing is to have your flag staked in the ground. So many times when life hits us, if we don't have our flag staked and know what we believe and why we believe it, you know, we'll fall for whatever comes our way. I know when I was in my, um, when I was in my 20s and, and uh, gosh, just all kinds of things were hitting me. Life was happening. I was falling for anything. I was falling for anything. And I know that um, it, it benefits us to be able to have that resolve and say, here's where I stand. And I think that that's ultimately what Paul was trying to get after when he was talking with the Ephesians. Is he was saying, look, here's what you need to believe, and here's why you need to believe it. And so we're jumping into this. I'm excited. Hopefully for you, it will be just an opportunity. Maybe answer some questions. If you have any questions about Christianity, maybe you're just checking this thing out. Maybe it's um, you are... Uh, um, maybe new to Christianity, you're trying to get your footing and like maybe understand a little better what Christians believe. Uh, maybe that'll be a help to you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and it just confirms or helps you kind of get that footing and, and, and know where to plant your flag and say, okay, here's where I stand. So excited to be jumping into the series with you guys. Uh, we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts. We're going to be looking at um, the Holy Spirit. Paul talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and discernment in the spirit. So we're going to get into some really cool stuff. Tonight, we're going to jump into chapter 2 of Ephesians. Last week, we talked about Paul's um, idea of purpose. We looked at our purpose. And uh, I know that's a cliche question, right? What's your purpose? We hear it all the time. And I believe there, there's a big P purpose, uh, uh, why we exist, right? That thing that we exist to accomplish. And then inside of that, there are all these, you know, daily purposes, functions, roles that we jump into. And I believe when we know our purpose, know why we exist, that all the other stuff kind of comes together. And that big P purpose, what we looked at last week, is that we exist to know God through his son, Jesus Christ, and to worship him in all that we do. And number two is that worship should invade every single aspect of our life. Paul modeled this. He modeled this in his letter to the Ephesians. So what we looked at last week was, um, you know, typically when Paul writes a letter to a church, he's got this salutation where he's kind of introducing himself. And then he jumps into um, like a prayer of thanksgiving over the people that he's talking to. Thank you for your faith and your hard work in spreading the gospel. But instead, in the letter to the Ephesians, he stops all of it. He pauses. And he actually jumps into um, just a time of worship and praise. And I believe that that is an awesome example for our lives. That sometimes we just need to put things on hold and just praise and worship Abba for who he is and what he's done in our lives. And, um, and that kind of leads us into chapter 2. Okay. 
Um, so before, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Uh, so it's kind of at the end of the chapter, but getting into chapter 2 at the beginning, we're looking at what Paul's talking about. And he says that you, he's talking to the Ephesians, he says, you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. And what does he mean by that? You see, if God is our source of spiritual life, and if we've been separated from him by our sins and our trespasses, then we are dead in our sins. And he talks about how that is uh, the state that we are in. And... Um, the natural outcome of that state would have been God's wrath, right? That would have been the natural outcome, but because and inside of God's mercy, um, he raised us to life in Christ. That's what he's talking about. Um, so then we move, and so if you think about it, he's kind of talking about the separation that exists vertically between humans and God. There's a separation that exists there, and he says Christ banished that separation. He paved the way back to God vertically. That vertical separation is gone. And then he goes into, in the middle of the chapter, he talks about a horizontal separation. He says, hey, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. He's talking to the Ephesians in the city. It was a big metropolitan area. And you had the Jews, right? The Jews, they believed in the one true God. And then culturally, um, there were these uh, Gentiles. Gentiles is kind of a uh, religiously loaded word, but it just means anybody who's not a Jew. Okay, so God had chosen the Israelites, and Gentiles just refers to anybody who's not a Jew. And long story short, the Jews saw them as pagans. Oftentimes, they were polytheists. They believed in a bunch of gods, and they worshipped a bunch of gods, and the Jews hated them. They, they believed that they were enemies. Because they worshipped all these gods, they called them pagans. And so there was this deep divide, there was this separation culturally in this community in Ephesus. And, and Paul is saying, in Christ, because you had the Jews that first chose Christ as generally they rejected him. But there were a few Jews in there that said, I see that Jesus is the Messiah and I place my faith and my trust in him. He said, you guys... You guys were united in Christ. And then he said, over here on the other side, because now the gospel has been offered to the world. Because of that, Jesus has united this horizontal separation. So Paul jumps into chapter 2, and he's dealing with these two kinds of separation. He's saying, we are no longer separated from God vertically, and we are no longer separated from each other horizontally. And Jesus has ultimately banished and destroyed that separation. And then we land at our verse, our passage for this evening, verse 19. We're going to jump right into it. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. I just want to pause right there. Paul is like the master of this um, argument, you know, making these arguments that build on top of itself. Okay, so back in chapter 1, I think it's verse 15, he says, he's making an argument. He says, because of this, for this I know, and then he goes and continues his argument. And then we see in chapter 2, verse 19, right here he says, consequently. So he's building this argument, and because of that, 
the way that we interpret these verses that we're getting ready to jump into is through the lens of like what Paul's already been saying. And he says, in light of the fact that Christ has given us all this spiritual blessing in light of the fact that in Christ we are alive and have been delivered from the enslavement of sin, in light of the fact that Christ has destroyed the separation between humans and God and Jews and Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. What has happened? What has happened here? Paul is saying that the Ephesians' identity and their citizenship have been changed. And you see the language he says, you are. The present tense here emphasizing the fact that it's immediate. It's happened right now and it's permanent. It's permanent. So my wife, Jessa, a lot of you guys um, know her, got to meet her last week. She uh, was born in Toronto. So she was a, a Canadian citizen. And when she and I got married, that was one of the first things we started was that journey of pursuing citizenship for her. And, I mean, there's a bajillion forms and all this stuff and um, appointments, and you had to be ready to drop everything on a dime and go to the immigration office to have a conversation with them. And uh, it was a long journey, probably six or seven years. And now... I'll never forget the feeling that day when she was granted citizenship in the United States. Like, it was just amazing that that journey was over, but, but, but also that she could call herself an American and, and excited about that. And um, so for us, this is like, man, this is awesome. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you are now citizens of the household of God. You were foreigners and you were strangers. If you think about those words, right? Foreigners, right? I mean, you guys, we live in Colorado. We have a lot of, like, touristy destinations. You go there, and you can kind of pick everybody out that's not from Colorado. It's pretty obvious. They haven't picked up our culture. That's, like, what being a tourist is all about. You stick out like a sore thumb. You're, you haven't, you're there. You're in that place. Like, we're planning a trip to Italy. I can't go to Italy for a week and then turn around and say I'm an Italian, right? I don't have their culture. I don't have their identity, their citizenship. And Paul's talking about that. But then he goes one step further. This Greek word that is translated stranger is actually talking about somebody who's like a permanent resident here, right? So uh, before my wife got her citizenship, she was a permanent resident. She paid the fees, filled out the forms, and she was given permission to stay here. But she still didn't have all the rights. She still didn't have the citizenship. And Paul's saying you were there, but now you're a citizen. Now you're a member of God's household. This is amazing. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. What do we see here really quickly? We see that the foundation is the apostles and the prophets, but actually they're the mouthpiece of God. So it's really what God said through them. And so what he's saying here is that the foundation of this building that he's he's building this imagery for, right, is actually the word of God. 
And what's understood here is that we are the building material. God is building this building with us. We are the material that he's using to put this building together, and Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, I'm not an architect, and I'm not a stonemason, and, uh, and I actually had to look this up and like, man, what is the significance of this cornerstone thing? And I just want to just read this to you. Once the cornerstone is set, it's the biggest, most perfectly shaped, perfectly set, perfectly oriented stone in the entire building. It's the first one. It says, once the cornerstone was set, it became the basis for determining every measurement in the remaining construction. Everything was aligned to it. So what they're saying here is that on this side of the building, they would set the cornerstone, they would get it perfectly angled, leveled, and it's perfectly shaped, right? And because that stone is in place, because it's set in place, I now can set the next stone to it. And I'm using this stone as a reference point to set this one perfectly. Now that I have this one, I can go on to the next stone. And as you build this building, you could be the stone the farthest away from this cornerstone over here, and its point of reference is still the cornerstone. And he says, Jesus Christ is that cornerstone for this building that Paul's talking about that God is building Guys, in a world of chaos, in a world of frustration and disorientation, and sometimes it's like, what do we believe? Why do we even believe it? Jesus can and will be that cornerstone for you and me. In my life, I can look to Christ to be my foundation for what I see as my purpose. In Christ, I can look at my life and I find meaning. I can find uh, value. In my life, I look at Christ and I see him as the foundation for my belief. And um, as I studied uh, apologetics and philosophy, they talk about how a worldview is the lens through which you interpret and filter and see everything around you, right? And... and um, Jesus Christ can be that lens, that reference point through which we see and we interpret and we know the world around us. Verse 21. In him, there's Paul's favorite phrase, right? In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Paul continues this imagery of this building, and he's kind of building on this imagery. He's given us a few more details here. Now he calls it something that he hasn't called it before. The apostles and the prophets and the word of God are still the foundation for this building. Jesus is still the cornerstone. We are still the building material, and now he calls it the holy temple. God is building this holy temple. It's interesting because Paul's not talking to the people of Jerusalem. You see, the people of Jerusalem would have known, they would have very well understood. But the people of Ephesus, they would have understood as well because um, 
in Ephesus being the, uh, the metropolis that it was, it was the home of the temple of Diana, right? And so maybe these, these pagans that, Jesus, that um, Paul's talking to, the, the, the ones that worship many gods, would have had a point of reference in their mind for going to a, a temple in Ephesus. And all this talk about a building. All this talk about a building. What is Paul talking about? Is he talking about a physical church? Is he talking about a group of churches? Let's see what he says here in verse 22. He says, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in his spirit. Paul finally lands this allegory he's been going with for three or four verses as he's talking about this temple, this holy temple, this building that God's building and, and um, his word is the foundation and where the material, he finally lands it and he says, you are that temple. That's why today we don't come to a temple to worship God. We bring our temples with us. That's why today we don't come to a temple to worship God. We bring our temples with us. You are the temple of the living God. Now to understand this a little better, it's helpful to know kind of how the temple related to God's presence with his people. If we go back to Genesis, God physically walked with his people. He walked with his people physically. They were in his presence. They had every access to his presence. Sin had not separated us from him yet and then centered into the world, entered into the world, and there was separation, just like what Paul's talking about. We were separated. Fast forward a few hundred years later, the Israelites, God's chosen people, they're enslaved in Egypt, and God delivers them out of that. He brings them into the wilderness, and he tells Moses, he says, I want you to build me a tent, a tabernacle. In this tent is where I will dwell with my people. It's almost like they were in the Garden of Eden, right? Except not, because God wasn't physically walking with his people. He was there, but he was housed in this tent. It wasn't good enough wasn't good enough. And then later, that tabernacle, that tent, that temporary place where God dwelled was replaced with a permanent physical building as Solomon built the temple, the holy temple, sacred. That is where God dwelled and he, he interacted, he engaged with his people, he loved them and he cared for them through his presence in the temple. Unfortunately, as we know, because we've read it, um, the Israelites were corrupt. They fell into sin. The temple was destroyed and they were exiled. And so people came, uh, they made their way back to Israel and they rebuilt the temple again. Maybe this time it'll work. Maybe this time it'll last. And that's where, you know, we kind of end the Old Testament with more questions than we have answers, right? 
And then Jesus Christ shows up on the scene. It's pretty amazing. John, in his gospel, chapter 114, he talks about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? So, So you see God walked among us in the Garden of Eden, and then he was in this tabernacle, and then he was in this temple, and then now Jesus walked among us. And it's interesting, we know that John is talking about Jesus when he calls him the word, but what's interesting is that the word that he used there for dwelt actually means tabernacle. It actually means tabernacle like was used in the Old Testament when God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He walked among us. But what's amazing about Jesus' sacrifice is he didn't just figure out a way where God could be among us again. He found a way for God to be in us. In us. No longer do we see God concerned in the New Testament about a physical building. He's not worried about that anymore. God has been making his way throughout history back to us in proximity. And now, now there's a way where he can dwell inside of us. And we are that sacred holy temple where he lives couple things as the band comes up. If you think about this imagery of this building, again, I'm not an architect or a stonemason, but part of the process of building this building out of stone is making sure that these stones fit. And we're those stones. I just want to encourage you this evening. I just want to encourage you this evening. It, it, it's, it, the, the text makes it increasingly clear that God is the one that's doing the building. He's building this temple, right? And so as these stones are placed, maybe a little bit of the stone needs to be chipped away for it to fit. That can be kind of painful, right? Maybe he's got to chip a little bit of pride away to continue to build you into that holy temple. Maybe a little bit of self-doubt needs to be chipped away. Maybe it's a relationship that needed to go away. Maybe it was sin in your life, maybe it was lust, maybe it was that thing that keeps you up at night. God says, I need to chip this away just to continue to build you into that sacred, holy temple within which I can commune with you. Sounds painful, but I just want to encourage you this evening that you are being made holy. God is working through you, in you right now to make you into that perfect, sacred, holy temple where he dwells within you.
That way when we come here, we don't come to a temple to worship God. We bring our temples with us. And number two, guys, if God dwells in this temple and if he has a plan to love and care for his people through this temple and if you are that temple God has a plan to use each and every one of you here to reach the world You see, in the text, there's a little bit of a lost, getting lost in translation because the English language fails to really paint the picture that Paul's trying to paint. He's not trying to say our individual bodies are the temple of God. He's actually trying to say, and he says it in the Greek, but we don't even get there in the English language. He's actually saying you all's body together it's a joint body we see this in other places where Paul talks about the body of Christ right that's us the temple of the living God together there is this built in element of community and God has a plan can you imagine if we embraced that I said, I'm going to be the temple of the living God. I am going to honor him and worship him all that I do. And in my spirit, we commune together. Jesus paved that way where we are united together in Christ. And we have way back to God. Because of that, he dwells within us. Let's pray. God, it just amazes me that you put every star in the sky. We see um, videos and things of people talking about the, the vastness of the universe. And it's we can't even come close to wrapping our mind around how huge you are. And your word says that you hold all of that in the palm of your hand. And yet, your word here says that you dwell inside each and every one of us and that you commune with us because we are your holy temple. God, would you strengthen us as a church to rise up and be what you envisioned for your holy temple? God, would you strengthen us as a community here of young adults to um, see and embrace this idea of you caring and loving on your people here in Parker through this amazing community. That you have a plan. Father, thank you for being a God who has a plan. That we can, we can step into that plan, we can step into that purpose and suddenly you are the source of our meaning and our worth. God, we thank you for that. This week, 
Would you just help us to see those areas of our life that maybe you're trying to chip away as you're trying to build this temple? God, would you give us the courage to say, God, we wanna be that temple. Would you, would you chip away whatever you need so that I can be in your presence, so that you can dwell within and we can commune? Love you, in Jesus' name.